Let's join in prayer. We are thankful, Heavenly Father, for your record, this record of your word, this story in the life not only of Jesus but of this woman who came to him and bothered him and was rewarded. She asked, she sought and she knocked and you heard and you opened and you answered. So, if anything else, may we be encouraged to bring our needs to you because she did just this and you showed mercy and grace to her. So bless us as we think about her story. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this morning in Matthew 15, we find Jesus in a rather unusual place. We're used to reading of him within the borders of the land of Israel, debating with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. But here in this part of the chapter, we find him outside of Israel, in the region of Tyre and Sidon, dealing with a Gentile woman. And this fact marks for us yet another turning point in Jesus' ministry. We've already noted in the wider context of these chapters this growing sense of opposition to Jesus. Not that people have stopped coming to hear him preach. Not that they've ceased to believe that he can do miracles. Not that their estimation of him has been lowered. But from here on in, the people of Israel generally refuse to acknowledge him as the Messiah. Even though the crowds keep coming to him, hoping for more free bread and fish or a miracle here or there, their hearts are more and more hardened to the claims that Jesus makes in his teaching. So picture that in your mind if you can, for it's important to grasp it. Jesus has now left the the boundaries and borders of the nation of Israel where unbelief has been increasing and he's entered into Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon where you would expect the people there would neither know about him or care anything for him. And what does he find as soon as he crosses the border? Well, he meets an outsider who has all the faith in the world toward him. And this outsider is a true outsider. She's not just a woman uh, with whom Jesus under normal circumstances would never have any connection. She's also a Gentile. And that last phrase, no connection, is underlined. Two strikes against her. And those two strikes ordinarily, ordinarily would be terminal to any chance that she might ever think she has in bringing her need to Jesus. But what a story Matthew records for us here as an outsider becomes an insider, as an outsider is brought in, right in with this conversation they had with all its twists and turns. 
Well, they say that every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And so if we take this story just as it is, a story built around and upon a conversation, this conversation, then we might find the same kind of structure. So let's think on these things together. First note that the conversation had a discouraging beginning. Things didn't quite get off the right foot, did they? As we read that a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. We're not told the background to this meeting of the woman and Jesus. That is to say, the Gospel writers are silent on how the woman even knew who Jesus was or what she knew he could do or where she got the idea of calling out to him, son of David, and crying out to him as she did. But she certainly did all that and more crying out to him in verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She called him Lord, a title full of significance, speaking both to his deity and to her own submission and trust in him. And when that's combined with son of David, it really does express her conviction that Jesus is and was God's Messiah the promised heir of Israel's greatest king, the one who came to save God's people from their sins. Now while the woman might not have fully understood the significance of everything that she said and does here, Matthew's language as he reports it to us is designed to signal to us the readers what is actually happening. She's confessing Jesus as her own Lord. She is submitting herself to him. Even when he challenges her as an outsider, she claims a place in the master's household, however lowly that place might be. All she knows is that Jesus has the mercy she needs. So she has extraordinary faith and her faith has a focus and a focus is Jesus and yet he treats her with absolute silence. A closed door. I'm not listening to you. Not only is there silence, but there's the words of the disciple she has to deal with. Words that she probably overheard. Call upon Jesus to say, send her away. So there's not only silence, but there's rejection. And to top all that off, there's more than just rejection. There's apparently a slur, an inference. She's a dog. She's a Gentile dog. We see that in verse 26. When he did speak to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, at that point, I think if I were in that woman's sandals and I'd had my desperate plea rebuffed, ignored, rejected and now mocked, 
I think I'd know what I'd be doing next. I'd have turned on my heels and I would have walked away. But this woman is remarkable. She doesn't do that, does she? You really have to admire her determination. She's not to be put off and instead throws herself at Jesus' feet. So what's going on here? Why is this discouraging beginning a discouraging beginning? It's a perplexing passage to be sure. If we take a closer look, I hope that we'll begin to see that Jesus isn't actually trying to push her away at all. In fact, he's trying to draw her out, to draw her in. He's working to make it obvious to the disciples who are with him what he already knows to be true about her. He's not here engaged in a spate of unthinking misogyny or racism. He is teaching, but not so much the Canaanite woman, he's teaching the disciples. He's teaching them about who are insiders and who are outsiders. Now we've seen the disciples want to send the crowds away when they came to him for bread and fish. Now we see them sending her away when she came to him with a need. So it's not unsurprisingly that we find that Jesus' disciples have this attitude, Lord, send her away, she's bothering us. And look again at Jesus' response, I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 24. It's an odd reply, given, don't you think, given what happens next, it seems like Jesus is agreeing with them. They want rid of her and Jesus seems to be saying, well, you know, you're right, she doesn't qualify for my help. I was sent only to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you would expect him, if what that, that was what he was saying, to immediately do what the disciples are asking and dismiss her, but he doesn't. In fact, she comes closer and falls at his feet. So there is something else happening, something wonderful. Jesus is challenging the categories of who's in and who's out, of what's clean and what's defiled, just like we thought about last week. And in doing so, he's saying something like this, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I came for the insiders in God's covenant community and your right disciples. She's not one of them. So should she receive my mercy? Does she belong? It is, is it possible that she may be, although she has the appearance of an outsider, be an insider who deserves something? Secondly, we note that this conversation between the woman and Jesus had a challenging middle. We'll, while we can note the tenacity, the perseverance, the certainty and the desperation of this woman's faith in refusing to let go of Jesus until she received what she came for, there's a point in the story in which everything turns. We've heard Jesus say to her the words of verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Words that express the very attitudes towards the Gentiles that he has just left behind in Israel. 
That's how the Pharisees thought and how the disciples thought, wasn't it? God was only interested in the insiders, for those who outwardly conform to the law of God, to those who wash their hands before eating, to those who hold on to all these human traditions. But as for everyone else, well, they don't deserve the same treatment from God, nor will they get the same treatment from him. They're dogs. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Didn't he call her a dog? Yes, but not quite. Scholars suggest here that Jesus said all of this with a tone of voice that indicated the irony of the situation. You know how you can cause great offence with an email or a text when you are only joking? Yep, I've done that before. I guess many of you would also have done that. Now, we weren't there, so we don't know how Jesus spoke to her. But either way, whether he said it with a tone of irony or said it to really test out her heart, she got it. She understood what he meant when he made that supposed slur. She wasn't put up. She responded. She stepped up with winning humility. Yes, Lord. And even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. If I'm a dog, I still belong in the master's house and even dogs get to eat the crumbs. She didn't respond, how dare you call me a dog? She didn't rage and grow indignant. How dare you suggest that I'm not just as deserving of the blessings of Israel as the children of Abraham? No, her response is, yes, Master, what you say is true, but even the household pets, they're well kept by their masters. And this woman in that response teaches us a truth about faith which will stand to the end of the world. This woman reminds us that no one deserves the grace of God. No one has a claim on God. No one can say to God, you must give me this because I deserve it. She teaches that we all stand as beggars before God, deserving only wrath and condemnation from him. And yet she willingly holds out her hands and she says, you are my only hope. Give me the crumbs. I'm not an outsider at all. I belong in the house. And Jesus, you're the master. Won't you give me the mercy that I need? He did come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but by her response, this woman demonstrates what the disciples want to push away and what the Pharisees deny. She has discovered that we come to belong to God's people, not on the basis of our ethnicity, not on the basis of our rituals, but on a heart response to his son. A heart response to his son, the son of David. The outsider is actually an insider. In a real sense, she is a lost sheep for whom Jesus came to give his life. Then third, we note that this conversation has a satisfying end. Matthew brings us to the conclusion of the conversation, the end result, the fruit of the woman's faith and persistence and her refusal to let go. 
She is the Jacob of the Old Testament who hangs on to the angel and says, I refuse to let go until you bless me and I get what I came for. Verse 28 tells us, Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is what happens when outsiders believe in Jesus like this. Here's why faith in him is what really counts and why your faith must be in him only. See the outcome for her. There's three things to note. The first is mercy. That's what she was after, wasn't it? Have mercy on me, Lord. Wasn't that her prayer at the beginning? And that's what we all need. We all need mercy. We don't need wise heads on TV who give answers to problems. We need mercy. In this case, her daughter had been severely oppressed by a demon. We learned that in verse 22. In the Bible, demonic activity appears in a few other places in the scriptures, but it's particularly clustered around the appearing and the work of Jesus. When he came into the world, evil began to react. His arrival set the kingdom of God and that of the devil on a collision course. And so if you scan through the gospel stories, you'll see again and again Jesus is confronted with the demonic and the satanic and the wicked. And again and again, Jesus triumphs, driving out evil, establishing his rule. And the Canaanite woman seems to know clearly that that's why he came that he came to destroy the works of the darkness, that he can set his daughter free, her daughter free. She puts all her confidence in Jesus and her tenacious faith elicits from him precisely the mercy that she needs. Then we see that Jesus gave her a new status. She moved from being an outsider to a true insider. And this is a big lesson in the passage. Zoom out for a moment and look a little at the context to what we covered last week where the Jews were attacking Jesus for breaking with tradition and how in response he used the opportunity to teach his disciples about clean and unclean, defiled and undefiled, insiders and outsiders. Instead of external things making you unclean, he says it's your heart that needs cleansing. Being defiled or being clean in the sight of God has nothing to, in any ultimate sense to do with ritual washing. He has to, it has to do, he says, with your heart attitude. Being an insider or an outsider has to do with your heart. So this story is set in that context, no longer in holy Israel, but in unholy Tyre and Sidon, where a pagan woman is brought in, in contrast to the Pharisees and the scribes, who show they don't belong. They are the outsiders. And there it's the Canaanite woman, not the disciples, not the religious scholars in Jerusalem, who understand that Jesus is Lord, the son of David. And the third thing Jesus gives her is praise. He says to her, O woman, great is your faith. As Jesus says that, don't lose sight of the significance of this praise. Remember that there are a series of Bible characters who are held out to us, 
who are described as having great faith. There's a list of them in Hebrews 11. Her name should be there, shouldn't it? Beside Abraham, beside Moses and many others. Great men and women of God who believed that God meant what he said and kept his promises and could raise the dead. And remember too that though we equate Abraham with the Jews and rightly so, remember that God called him when he was an idol worshipper and a pagan. And he too, like this woman, was an outsider, brought in, saved by grace through faith, just as she was. And ultimately we all are, regardless of birthplace or culture or ethnicity. Well, there are many lessons to learn in this great story this morning. For a start, we learn that saving faith is found often in the most surprising places. Where would you have expected a confession coming from a person that Jesus is Lord, the Son of David and Messiah? Where would you have expected it to come? Wouldn't you have expected it to come from the multitudes when he fed the 5,000? You would, but it didn't. It came across the border in Gentile territory where God brought a response in the most surprising way, in the most surprising place. Think of Naaman of old, Syrian army commander, like the Roman centurion, who came to Jesus for his servant's healing. J.C. Ryle puts it like this, It is grace, not place, which makes people believe. It's grace, not place. Then also, perhaps more importantly, let's also learn and remember here that outsiders are more than welcome. Some of you might feel that you know what her position was like, that you too are an outsider, that you too are an exile, that you too are a misfit. You know what it's like not to belong. But the message of this story is that faith in Jesus changes all of that in so many important ways. It takes us from the margins It moves us into the very heart of God's kingdom. It adopts us into his family. It wins for us acceptance with God and belonging in his church. From being an outsider to a true insider, from an exile to a citizen, from a stranger to a member, a family member of the household. Though you once didn't belong to Christ, now you do. And though you once didn't belong in the family of those who belong, now also you do. And how is that? Because when you cry out to the Lord Jesus for mercy, he not only gives you mercy, he brings you into the family. Maybe you've met with your share of judgmentalism and hostility from the religious elites, from the disciples over the years. It could be you've met with silence and rejection and insult like the woman did. But I wonder if you've begun to see that what matters more 
is not what other people think about you so much as what you think about Jesus. That's what determines whether you belong. Well, perhaps as you've listened, you've found you can relate to her experience. Maybe you'd like to think more deeply about how Jesus deals with our sin-sick hearts, how Jesus brings us into his household. This woman shows us the way, remembering, of course, that none of us are born on the inside of the family. None of us were always in his kingdom. None of us belong by right or by birth or by ethnicity. All of us are outsiders. And if you're now in the kingdom, then you too are an outsider who's been welcomed in. Which means, of course, that in the end, her story is your story. All because of the one who has mercy. Do you know that mercy today? Is Christ really yours? And more than that, will this story change the way you look at outsiders around you and see them in a new light that they too might belong? Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, this morning we thank you for your wonderful mercy at work in us. As much as in this woman, she came to you with a need, we come to you with our needs. She came to you in desperation and faith, we come to you also clinging to your promises that you will receive all who come to you. She came to you, Lord, she didn't belong, but you, you made her see how much she did belong. And we remember our story, that we too once were far off, didn't belong, not born into the kingdom in any sense, but welcomed in by grace and mercy. May this be an encouragement that we all might call upon you with confident hearts because you have said, as we heard this morning, that you will give all that we need when we ask. We come to you asking, seeking, knocking. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.